those who control the words that are used in dentistry control the mind of the dentist, dental team, and unfortunately, the patient. We begin our podcast right there. Computers are live. Mixers up. Levels are good. Equalizers good. Ready channels one and two. Mike is live in three, two, one. Roll it. Welcome, listeners, to the My Practice My Business podcast, where we teach dentists and their teams how to reclaim forgotten profitability in dentistry with our clinical business of dentistry training. And now, the host of our show, the clinical director at My Practice My Business, Dr. Rob Thorup. Controlling words soon become believable. Just ask your patient or your office manager or any of the front office. Back in the late 1980s, our cash fees were called fee-for-service fees. Dental insurance companies' fees were called usual, customary, and reasonable fees. As the time went on, we soon learned that insurance reimbursement fees were anything but usual, customary, and reasonable when compared to our cash fees. The fees every dentist needed to charge to be able to make a corporate profit and not just break even were our cash fees and not the ridiculous reimbursement fees we were beginning to see from third-party payers. Through the late 1990s and into the early 2000s, we saw a transformation of terminology happen with the definitions of insurance reimbursement fees and our cash fees, or fee-for-service fees, we dentists charge out for our services. The dental insurance company's fees were all of a sudden now called contracted fees, and our fees Our fees, our cash fees, were now referred to as usual, customary, reasonable, or UCR fees. This change in definition played on the minds of the dentist in that our cash fees should be reasonable, meaning if the insurance company deemed it necessary to reduce their contracted fees with us, it was because our UCR fees, our cash fees, were not in harmony with what should be reasonable. And it went further to say that it is customary to bundle procedures because it was the right thing to do. After all, we are all just rich and wealthy dentists anyway. And bundling is the usual thing that all the other dentists are going and are are doing anyway. So why are you not going with the flow, doctor? (laughs) For the last 15 years, the control of words has become so bad There are state dental associations in the United States that are taking legal action against the communications being given to our patients. In fact, the ADA has stepped in and has begun a dialogue with all of us in dental practice and the major dental insurance companies to stop verbiage on estimations of benefits forms that our patients receive that is demeaning, negative, and outright misleading to them. Dr. Kessler with the ADA put out a statement in the ADA News early in 2019 stating that the ADA is, quote, contacting dental plans to revise explanation of benefits language that could potentially damage the dentist-patient relationship, end of quote. As of today, though, Dr. Kessler, I don't think the message is getting through to the dental insurance companies uh, right now. I don't think there is an office manager out there listening today 
that would disagree with me on the derogatory language we are seeing on EOBs. For example, number one, and I'm going to go into my fun voice each time I read these that we see on EOBs. Number one, based on the information provided, we do not believe the prognosis is favorable. Oh my gosh, who in this world determined that diagnosis from an x-ray only on the insurance side? Our investigation revealed oftentimes it's a dental assistant or dental hygienist working for the insurance companies. And on the occasion, an actual dentist looked at the case. They have been trained to reject certain percentages of claims to increase corporate revenues. Investigative research has been conclusive that roughly 50% of all dental claims are systematically and arbitrarily rejected for the corporate financial interests of the insurance companies, making our dental teams look like they don't know what they are doing in front of the patient, when in fact, they actually do. Number two, point two. This procedure is considered to be inclusive or to be part of another procedure. (laughs) Help me understand this deductive logic and reasoning. We contract to provide services for a third-party payer. That dental insurance company gives us a contracted fee schedule with codes, descriptions, and fees on it. By contract, we are to submit all procedures with their associated codes, descriptions, and fees to those insurance companies. What gives them the right? What gives them the right at will to bundle, exclude, obliterate, redefine the rules of engagement? What gives them the right to come between the doctor-patient relationship? They have no right. They can't do it. Even our own ADA has stated that bundling is potentially fraudulent. The bottom line is you do not have to write off or bundle anything that the contract shows where there is a a code description and fee on on their fee schedules associated with our contract. Just another way, it's just another way third-party payers attempt to make us look incompetent or our teams while they increase their corporate profits in hopes that we give up on the claim. But wait a minute, Rob, it's in their policy. You know, the 50-page policy handbook of exclusions, bundlings, and exceptions that you're supposed to read prior to signing the contract because right in the contract it says that you are to adhere to the policy handbook. Back to reality, people. Who in the world thinks that an agreed-upon contract can have a moving rule book placed within it? In other words, when I sign a contract, there has to be full disclosure on every page of that contract with my initials attached on each page on the original contract. It cannot have an arbitrary moving will where rules can be changed at will. That would be like signing a contract for a loan with a bank for $20,000 and halfway through the loan agreement, the bank decides to add an extra $5,000 to your contract or decides to change the terms for repayment. If the insurance companies wish to change their policy, that's fine with me. They just have to give me an updated copy of my contract to sign that includes the changes and, and that's where I can negotiate for different changes at that time, or simply I just won't sign the contract. I'll just go out of their network. With that said, I'm no attorney, but this is the argument that we have had with the insurance companies when they've tried to do that stuff to us, and we've beaten them at their game each and every time because legally you can't do that. They can't change the game on it without your signature in any kind of a contractual agreement. Point three, 
No benefits for buildups. Oh, sorry, I didn't go into the voice. No benefits for buildups, and crowns are payable on the same day. <laughs> what the crap? Are you kidding me? Dear patient, on Monday, we're going to stick you with a needle, make you take off time from work, and, and add to our direct operating costs for fees that are already placing us in the red just to, so that on Tuesday, we can bring you back, stick you with the needle again, increase your trauma, and make you take off more time from work. How ridiculous is that? The ridiculous things we tolerate with dental insurance companies so that they can increase their shareholders' equity, we don't have to do. And then the patient yells, though, at the front office because they should have known that limitation existed. Oh, wait. Wait. They called the day before. Your front, your front office called the day before and were told all procedures were covered. They just failed to tell them that the patient had an exclusion. Happens all the time. So now the patient expects us to write it off as if it's our fault. At that point in time, did the patient become entitled to your dental office, offices being required to bill their dental insurance? At what point in time did that happen? You need to remind your patients on a daily basis that you submit insurance claims as a courtesy to them and not as an entitlement protocol. And no, you don't have to bill, bundle the buildup with the crown. That's an easy one to fight. Point four. After review of our consulting agent, we have determined these services are not deemed medically necessary. <laughs> well, there's nothing like being told by the patient that the treatment we rendered to them wasn't deemed necessary, right? The dental insurance company becomes the all-knowing deity of dentistry in the mind of the patient when they read their EOBs. And we, the actual doctors of dental surgery or medicine, were simply just apologists. Uh, for our greedy overdiagnosis, right? What normal consumer wouldn't think such thoughts if they haven't been trained by us as to the deceitful tactics used by dental insurance companies? Think that one through. Train your patient. Point five, an alternate benefit has been applied. <laughs> well, silly me. I should have never offered the patient a dental implant and attached crown when a partial denture would have been good enough, or just a flipper with a tooth in it, right? This one is actually fun to receive because it gives us the opportunity to teach the patient just how their dental, their dental insurance company really doesn't care for them. They don't care about them to have the best that dentistry has to offer. They're just looking for the cheapest way out. This one can actually backfire on the third-party payer as most patients are savvy enough to see right through that tactic. Point six. This procedure does not meet our guidelines, therefore is not payable by the plan. <laughs> and the patient just thinks we do things outside of the all-knowing insurance company's guidelines, don't they? Our patient, their client, pays a premium for dental insurance coverage, yet they can, the insurance company can make up the rules as they go when it comes to actual coverage. And in the EOB, it makes it sound like we should have known they were not going to cover their needed procedure. When you call any dental insurance company for coverage on a patient's needed procedure, like a preauthorization, what's the first thing you hear on their recording on their end? The first thing you hear is something like this, quote, this phone call is not a guarantee of coverage on benefits, end of quote. Drives our office managers, insurance people nuts in our offices all the time. My question is, why do dental offices even call on behalf of their patients' coverage of benefits 
Why do we do that? We don't. We, have, we haven't pre-authorized in years. We don't call for prerequisites. We don't pre-authorize. We let the practice management software do the work for us. And we are so dang close, if not right on, with each and every patient with their estimated out-of-pocket expense. It just takes a, a little trick and fine-tuning in the software to be able to do that. That's something we teach at the Clinical Business of Dentistry training courses we have here at MPMB. Point seven, the ultimate change of patient responsibility is zero. <laughs> oh my gosh. This does not mean the patient is not responsible for the actual services if they tell you that it's zeroed and it's not the patient's responsibility. It means the insurance company is not going to pay anything on behalf of their client. We see this all the time with composite fillings, right? Buildups, many periodontal uh, procedures and, and other things we do. This is just another way for the insurance company to make us look like we don't know what we're doing, indirectly damaging the patient relation, uh, relationship with the dental office. How is it possible for you to do a procedure like a buildup, submit that D2950 code in conjunction with the D2740 crown code, charge the, the negotiated amount per your contract, and then be expected to write, write it off? As a licensed dentist, I'm pretty sure that, that I know and I'm pretty sure that you know when a buildup is needed for a crown restoration. Yet when the policy handbook dictates, that, uh, dictates what conditions a buildup should be done uh, with some arbitrary abstract measurements, <laughs> have you seen those? Oh my gosh, they cracked me up. The, the, we, we would just laugh at in dental school if, if we saw that. And, and then they expect you to write off that charge because it didn't meet their guidelines. It's absolutely insulting and without a doubt damages the doctor-patient relationship again because as a caring, experienced dental professional, we charge for what we do. And if the insurance company won't pay for it, then the balance due will inevitably be the patient's responsibility, whether it reflects on the EOB or not. We see this this. Uh, change of patient responsibility to zero so many times within the EOB's verbiage. And it's shocking how many offices simply write off that charge because the EOB indicated either directly or indirectly uh, that they should. And this is, this is so misleading. It's, it's one of those things that Kessler's trying to get things changed. Uh, point eight, the difference between the submitted amount and the allowable amount is not the patient's responsibility. Oh, God. This statement is one of the most damaging to the doctor-patient relationship. This is common when insurance companies downgrade a procedure, making it appear that the dental office has overcharged the patient for their dental services. The patient in this example is actually responsible for the difference. For example, when your patient comes in for a composite fill and you bill out the contracted rate for the composite fill, but the insurance company downgrades it to an amalgam, the language in the OB makes it sound like you're supposed to write off the difference. Nothing could be further from the truth. When an, insurance, when an insurance's verbiage on the EOB alludes to this false information and your patient is having a major meltdown believing that you overbilled them, simply have a three-way call with the insurance representative, your patient, and you. And have the insurance representative make them apologize to your patient for the misleading information on the EOB and have them tell your patient that they, the patient, are responsible for the contracted balance, not what they downcoded. 
That builds a huge amount of trust between you and your patient when you call out the insurance company. I said call them out. When you call out the insurance company on their own crap for the patient's benefit, and that one simple step will prevent your patient from ever questioning you or your doctor's integrity again. They will trust the office. I love doing that. Point nine. Then there is the wonderful electronic claim submission where you send in the corrected CDT codes, x-rays, photos, and a narrative only to get back zero payment with a note stating you need to attach a narrative with a prep and seat date or they never receive the (laughs) x-rays. Oh, office managers, you're probably like beating up your iPhone right now or computer listening to this, or you're just like screaming or just laughing with me. All of these stalling tactics and techniques make us look incompetent to our patients. Right, office managers? The patient comes in or calls you to let you know you're an idiot. They tell your doc that the front office may need some training on claim submissions and on and on. We've actually had uh, patients say that. Oh man, I'll tell you, I defend my staff so fast and I just could care less if those patients stay in our practice. These stall tactics, they continue to stay. Why you might ask? Because the third party payers are usually publicly traded companies and they have shareholders they have to give reports to. And if they show a loss, it doesn't look good for them. Therefore, if they are cutting it close on their quarterly earnings, they stall your claims, especially towards the end of each quarter, each fiscal quarter. This is a common business tactic we get to deal with. Dental insurance companies are in the business to make money. Just ask Warren Buffett, who invested in them years ago and made so much money off insurances. The bottom line is this. The dental insurance companies know that a certain percentage of dental offices all you office managers listening to this, they know that percentage of dental offices after trying to pursue a claim will just give up. They'll place the balance back on the patient where it actually does belong, or worse, they'll just write off the balance because they, they don't want to face the patient, right? We unfortunately uncovered an office manager writing off the balances from several claims each month with one of our new clients. It, it, it Oh my gosh, to the over the course of a year, to the tune of six digits, it was simply too difficult for her to pursue the dental claims from the insurance companies. Needless to say, she was fired. The Washington State Dental Association, along with several brave, brave dental practitioners, filed a lawsuit against Delta Dental of Washington. I've been following this lawsuit closely, and this quote from Dr. Uh, Dennis Bradshaw pretty much sums up what is going on in the Northwest. Quote, Delta's continued efforts to repeatedly block member member proposals reflect a corporate culture that consistently puts its own profits ahead of legitimate concerns about how it could better support patient care and treatment decisions. End of quote. Man, I love that. I personally have patients here in Utah who are covered by Delta Dental of Washington, and their negative verbiage and stall tactics with our patients are among some of the worst that we see. Pray for those doctors and the Washington State Dental Association for their efforts and hopes that they can make a difference when it comes to our patient care. Good for them. Making words disappear or change, promoting an agenda that ultimately attempts to compromise patient care, 
controlling terms on anesthetic, buildups, x-rays, and so much more is what socialized medicine hopes to accomplish. It's what the big insurance companies hope to control. So far, they're doing a good job of it as we dentists sit back and do nothing. Become active. Do something. Push back. So dental team and doctor, what are you going to do to stop the losses that you continue to take unnecessarily on a dental basis? I've helped you get started, but there is so much more to learn about ways to reclaim profitability that insurance companies have taken from us. Dental insurance companies are not going away from dentistry's multi-billion dollar industry, but there are ways to profitably coexist with them, and that's what we specialize in here at My Practice, My Business. Thank you so much for tuning in to the My Practice, My Business podcast. You can find additional podcasts you may have missed that will help you with your dental practice at Apple iTunes Podcasts. And remember to become a subscriber to our podcast. Many of you have asked how to help support the My Practice, My Business podcast. If you have enjoyed the program and information you received today, the best way to help is to leave us a five-star review. Thanks again for allowing us to be a part of your day.